talking about the book of Jude. This book was written by a man named Jude. Jude was the brother of James who wrote the book of James and also the brother or half-brother of Jesus. Though he wasn't one of Jesus' original disciples who closely followed him before his crucifixion, Jude eventually became a servant of Christ sometime after Jesus' resurrection and as evidenced by this book was someone who earnestly cared for the church of God. We don't know exactly who Jude was writing to, but based on references to Old Testament scripture, as well as some important Jewish writings, it's assumed that this epistle was written to a group of Jewish Christians. At the outset of this book, Jude appeals to the recipients of this letter to contend for the faith. To contend is to strive or battle for something, and the faith is what we as Christians believe in. It's the core, essential set of truths that all Orthodox Christians hold to. These core beliefs are that God is one yet three, that the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus Christ is 100% divine and 100% human, that Jesus lived on earth, was crucified for our sins on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and ascended to become the Lord of all, that any person who believes into him will receive eternal life, and that Jesus is coming again. Okay, take a deep breath. So Jude wanted the recipients of this letter to contend for the faith, meaning that he wanted them to fight for the truth of the Christian faith. Now to be clear, Jude wasn't just inciting some silly skirmish or brouhaha over an obscure or ancillary doctrine that doesn't really mean much in the end. No, Jude was calling these Christians to an all-out warfare against a brutal attack on the very foundations of their Christian faith. So why did they need to fight for the faith, and who were they contending with? Well, for that, you have to see the context in which Jude wrote this book. So what's the context? The context is that the group of Christians he's writing to is undergoing a rough season of degradation and corruption due to the presence of some false teachers who were distorting the truth of the gospel. According to verse 4, certain people had crept in unnoticed, and they then began to pollute the church with false teachings and sinful practices. According to the original Greek text, the word here for, quote, crept in unnoticed, literally means crept in through the side door. So somehow these people had placed themselves amongst God's people, and they kind of snuck in through the side door and were becoming a major negative influence to the church by leading God's people astray. Okay, so what was it that these false teachers were saying that was becoming such a big issue that forced Jude to address it by writing this letter? Verse 4 mentions the two things that were the most troublesome. Number one, they perverted or twisted the grace of our God into a license for immorality, specifically sexual immorality. What does that mean? These false teachers told the church that since God had already graciously granted salvation to them, then they could live however they wanted to now, guilt-free, even committing ugly, atrocious, and harmful sins. In their minds, God's free gift of grace gave them the, quote, freedom to live an ungodly life with no repercussions. This abuse of freedom was a huge misunderstanding and mistake. This was a complete twist on the true meaning and purpose of God's grace, which is that we would live our lives in such a way that we manifest the life of Christ. In fact, these guys were teaching the exact opposite of what God's grace really means. God's grace is not the permission to live however we want and to do whatever we want. God's grace is the power to live how God wants us to and to do whatever He wants us to do. 
so someone who is truly experiencing the grace of God is empowered and energized to live a life that's pleasing to God the Father, a life that fully expresses the life of Jesus Christ. And as can be discovered by reading this book, the life that these false teachers lived was several light years away from a life pleasing to God. So how could they teach such a thing? Well, that's where the second major thing they did comes in. Number two, they denied Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. There's no other way they could teach such corrupt and morally bankrupt ideas if they didn't flat out deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. We kind of know what the word Lord means, but what does it mean when it says that God is the only sovereign? A sovereign is someone who possesses supreme and ultimate authority in a certain place. This verse says that God is our only sovereign. So as far as the Bible is concerned, which is the basis of our faith, God is the only one in the universe who possesses supreme and ultimate authority. What he says to be true is true, and what he declares to be false is false. In this universe, God alone defines what truth is, and once it's been decided by God, no one can change it. So why did the false teachers deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord? It's because they were attempting to dismantle, distort, and defile what the church considered to be true. These people were attempting to blur the church's vision to what God's holy word says is true and replace it with something false. Essentially, they had to deny Jesus Christ as the only one who possesses the authority to define what is true so that now they could define what is true and teach that to others. Beware though, the fact that God alone is the decider of truth and even the fact that an absolute a truth exists in the universe is still heavily barraged and challenged by the society we live in today. That being said, it shouldn't have been a huge surprise that such people had arrived and were causing such problems in the church because there are several warnings against this very thing by other New Testament writers. Moreover, Jesus himself warned about these people who would attempt to damage the church. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Thankfully, this is exactly what Jude did. He judged these false teachers by their fruit, i.e. by how they lived. Because their personal lives were littered with filthy and sinful practices, Jude was able to prove that what these people taught must also be corrupt and diseased. Bad fruit equals bad tree. Therefore, it would have been foolish to listen to anything they had to say or to trust anything they believed. And finally, Jude then repeats two small words that turn us to the whole point of this book. But you. Twice at the end of his letter, Jude repeats the words, but you. So what is the focus of this book? The focus of this book is to embolden the recipients to contend for their Christian faith and to build themselves up in the midst of those who are trying to tear them down. The way to be built up is giving clearly, to pray in the Holy Spirit, to keep yourself in the love of God, and to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the day though, no matter how much we do to keep ourselves grounded in our faith, Jude concludes by reminding us that we are fully dependent on the mercy and keeping power of our Savior God, and to Him is all the glory. Once again, thanks for listening, and I hope you continue reversing the trend by daily reading God's Word.